I speak to you in the name of one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So how good are each of y'all at ignoring warning signs in your life? I am really good at it. Especially when it comes to getting sick. I feel that tickle in the back of my throat or start to feel a little sniffle, a little bit of a headache coming on. Instead of getting up and getting some medicine or some, something to help me out, I, I just try to ignore it. I try to put it off, try to pretend it isn't there until it becomes something worse. Something more terrible, cold or some other kind of illness. When I could have cut it short if I just dealt with it. What about the gas tank on your car? That little warning light comes on and you think, well, I can, I can make it to my next thing. I don't have time to stop for gas. And then you think, well, I can still make it. It's, it has to get a little this much farther below the line before I really need to start worrying about it. And you keep pushing it and pushing it and occasionally it gets you. And you find yourself straight on the side of the road making a call to have someone bring you some gas. Those are some lighter examples, but there are some more serious examples of ways in our lives in which we ignore the warnings that we're given. For various and sundry reasons. Maybe we can't be bothered. Maybe we don't want it, something to interfere with something else. Maybe we're really worried about whatever it is we're ignoring the warning signs about, but we don't want to deal with it. We want to pretend that it doesn't exist or avoid those consequences. Well, this isn't a new behavior from humankind. It's something we've always done. In fact, the disciples do it time and again as Jesus begins to turn towards Jerusalem. And as we're coming to this, in the season of Lent, as we're coming towards the end, Jesus is starting to remind the disciples every step of the way of what's going to happen. And they continue to keep their heads in the sand and pretend it's not. Today is no different. Today he comes across and Greeks want to come and meet him and the disciples are with him and he talks again about how this death that he's going to have to die, that he might be raised again. And he begins to tell them about it and he uses a particularly strange metaphor to those of us in the modern world. He says that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Lifted up. I'm, when I think of being lifted up, I think of those you know, high school plays where you put somebody on a pulley and lifted them up into the air and they swung around and flew. It sounds kind of cool being lifted up. And yet, of course, that's not what Jesus is referring to. He's referring to being lifted up on the cross where he dies. But he uses this, this lifting up to someone in his time to a good Jew would remind them of a very important story from the Torah. It's from the book of Numbers. And they are saying the book of Numbers? It doesn't seem like we ever get anything from the book of Numbers. I kind of forget it exists most of the time. After all, we all know about Genesis where we have the creation story and you have the flood and you have the calling of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the beautiful story of Joseph and his family. And then you get into Exodus where you have the incredible story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. And then there's Leviticus, the one that everybody hates because it's law after law after law after law after law. But then Numbers gets lost. Deuteronomy's got a cool name. It ends the Torah. Everybody knows about that. Numbers just kind of floats on by. And yet, it's a really important book as a Christian where we rely on the idea of forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness. Numbers should be something we pay attention to. Because Numbers is largely a narrative story about the time after the Israelites left 
After they got out and got through the exodus and started wandering around the wilderness, it's, just, it's telling us about what happened to them. Letting us know about the many, many, many ways that they continued to fall out of love with God, continued to forget God and turn towards other idols and things to worship, and how he then called them back into reconciliation and they had to repent and receive forgiveness. It's a great model for a Christian to see time and again where God is willing to accept repentance and give forgiveness. And this particular story that Jesus is referring back to when he says that the Son of Man must be lifted up is a story about snakes. I'm sorry, Shirley. I know you don't like them. <laughs> the story about snakes. What happened was the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness and they were captured by some Canaanites. Many of them were captured and they, in being held in captivity, they didn't know what was going to happen, if they were going to be beaten or tortured or killed, starved. Who knows what would happen? And they couldn't get back to their people. And so they found themselves praying that prayer that every one of us at some point in our life, maybe many times, has said. That prayer, that timeless prayer that is, God, if you will just get me out of this, I will fix my life and follow you. Every one of us has prayed that at some point, maybe multiple times. God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, we will follow you forever. And they make that prayer to God, and God does deliver them from the Canaanites. And they're, they're rescued. They're reunited with the rest of the Israelites. And they are wandering around, and they're, they're, you know, they're back in love with God, worshiping God as they should. And then kind of daily life starts to take its toll. People start grumbling. Ah, I'm hungry. There's not enough food. Ah, I'm thirsty. Not enough water. How much farther is this walk to the promised land anyway? They start grumbling and, and begin to complain about God not taking care of them. Begin to curse God. Begin to turn away yet again. And so God then sends these snakes. Sends poisonous snakes into the camp. They start to bite people, and people start to die from these poisonous snakes. And all of a sudden, now that they're faced, instead of just some heartache and some hard work that they had to do to work, now they're faced with death again. And they start to realize, we've yet again failed God for the umpteenth time. Oh my gosh, we're so sorry. They go to Moses and say, please, Moses, can you intercede with God on our behalf? Can you get him to save us from these snakes? We're really sorry and we will worship God again. And God again gives them forgiveness. And he does so with this very unique manner. He tells Moses to take a bronze serpent, put it up on a big pole, and lift it up. Words intended. Lift it up. That's where we get the lifting up part. Lift it up, this bronze serpent, on top of this pole, and set it in the middle of the people. And then whenever anyone is bitten by one of these poisonous snakes, they have only to look at this bronze serpent, and they will be saved from death. It's a unique manner of salvation he gives them from this plague of serpents. And yet it's a very important one because he's chosen, as the manner of salvation, he's chosen the instrument of judgment. He could have done anything. He could have just said you had to get in prayer to pray to God. He could have said you could go, you know, any number of things that he could have come up with for people to do to find safety from those snakes. But he takes this image of the snake and he puts it up where people can see it. So they have to look into the face of their judgment, which is these poisonous snakes, and in looking in the face of this judgment, they are forgiven. They are healed and saved. That 
that same metaphor is not unintentional. As we look forward to Jesus being lifted up, He is also not just our salvation, but also the instrument of our judgment. Jesus comes down to teach us and ultimately to show that we are unredeemable. The worst act any human ever committed was to hang Jesus from the cross. And yet Jesus, God himself, submits willingly because his love for us is so incredibly strong. His love for us is unconditional and he wants more than anything for us to be reconciled with him. And so he's willing to accept that death that in the Old Testament would have been the serpents upon the people. He accepts that death for himself at our hands. And in doing so, becomes not just the instrument of our judgment, but the instrument of our salvation as well. And that has meaning coming to when he's talking about the coming again later on, as he will come, given, he's given the duty by God to judge mankind. And it is an incredibly refreshing and beautiful thing, an incredibly heartening thing to know that the instrument of our judgment, Christ is coming, that he is also the instrument of our salvation. To know as we know in our hearts that we have failed God many times in our lives, that we can look to the face of Christ for that grace. To know that there is always hope. And yet, God sent Jesus ahead of the end of times. He sent Jesus ahead to give us that judgment, that salvation before we have to face it. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. Because what it means is that we don't have to wait to live into that salvation. You don't have to wait until you die to take advantage of the salvation that God offers, that that life, that beautiful life that we can live as one with God can be happen here, now on earth. And for those of us who ignore those warning signs in our life time and again, when that bad thing happens, when we're trying to avoid those consequences, doing everything we can to get out of having to, to deal with the things that we have done, we have Christ lifted up that we have merely to look at and know that He loves us despite what we have done. And that we can look into the face of the consequences of our actions. We can look at the instrument of whatever our judgment is, and we can face it with His strength, so strong that He would die willingly for us. So if there are things that we've been avoiding in our life, or things that we're trying to ignore, Christ is there on that cross as an example, as heart, as power for each and every one of us to face those difficult things in our lives that we try to avoid. Forever. This idea that we live forever in the life is one with God, that forever is available to us today. You don't have to wait until you die to then be resurrected and live forever with God. You can begin that life today. If you look up when we face these difficult things, we struggle in our lives to look up to see Christ on that cross, to know what that gift means for us, to know that in every situation there is always hope, there is always the possibility of reconciliation, and that we can deal with the pain of repentance. Through Christ, all things are possible, and so he hangs upon that cross to show us. 
And so that forever life that we have been given is available today if we but have the courage to look up and see the face of Christ. Amen.